שלום. This morning we are going to be talking about giving. I'm sorry if that is the touchy subject with you. But that's just what is next in our scripture text as we systematically go through the book of Numbers. And please be assured that in our church here, we don't talk about money every week. Unlike, and you may have read or heard, just like I do when I read recently, this was in the media, reading about the members of the venue church in Chittanooga, Tennessee, USA, who said that their hipster mega church pastor, Tefna Smith, preached over and over and over again about tithing and over and over again, asking people to donate and to donate and to donate. No, we don't talk about money every week here. But, but if we are here this week, this could be something God wants to say to you, especially. Now, Numbers chapter 7 is the longest chapter in the Bible, after Psalm 119. As with earlier lists we have seen in the last six chapters, and with more lists to come, more chapters as we continue our study of this book, some key biblical themes are presented with unmistakable clarity. And giving being an essential part of a Christian's worship is one such biblical theme presented with unmistakable clarity in Numbers chapter 7, as we will see this morning. But before that, allow me to just give you a very quick brief of this lengthy chapter, all right, before we look at the details of this very important biblical teaching of our giving being a very essential part of the disciples' life. Now, as we come to Numbers chapter 7 this morning, Numbers chapter 7 describes a unique event in Israel's history. We read in verse 1 that the tabernacle had just been completed and dedicated. Now, the tabernacle was built almost a year after the Exodus event from Egypt. So the first part of Numbers here is, is not a theological presentation. Sorry, it is a theological presentation. It's not a chronological uh, account. Okay. And next, we read that before moving out of Sinai into the Promised Land, in verse 2 and verse 3, the leaders of Israel brought to the Lord gifts of six covered carts, or uh, let us just do wagons, six wagons and twelve oxen. Then in verse 4 to verse 5, God told Moses to take it and give it to the Levites. Now, who were the Levites? By now, I believe you should know. 
who the Levites were, all right? Of course, they're from a tribe of Levite. But remember, they make up of three family clans, huh? Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. But most importantly, they were the temple priests, okay? They served in the temple as priests of God. So they do not work on the land, they do not own land, they live off a tent of all the other tribes. And in verses 6 to 9, Moses therefore distributed the oxen and the wagons as follows. We are told in verse 7, two wagons and four oxen were given to the Gershonites, and four wagons and eight, eight oxen to the Menorites in verse 8. And that begs the question, why were the Menorites given more than their Gershonites? Well, the answer is actually quite simple, because they had to carry, the Menorites have to carry the heavy wooden and metal framework of the tabernacle, as we are told. That was their, the description of their duty and responsibility way back in Numbers chapter 4, verse 31 to verse 32. But there's an even bigger question. Why was none given to the Kohatites in verse 9? Why? I mean, if I know my maths, and I believe I do, six wagons and twelve oxen means each Levite should each receive two wagons and four oxen, right? So why did the Kohatites get nothing? You look at verse 9 again. Because we are told the Kohatites were charged with the service of the holy things of the tabernacle that had to be carried on their shoulder. Okay? No other people had this significant privilege of carrying the holy things in the tabernacle on their shoulders except the Kohutites. In verse 10 to verse 17, we have the offerings brought for the dedication of the altar and over the 12-day festival. Each leader of the 12 tribes of Israel brought their offerings for the dedication of the altar. So if we read from verse 12 to verse 83, each day, a different tribe's gifts were presented by its designated leader. There was no variation whatsoever, either in the gifts they offered or in the literary formula used to describe their offerings. And the presentations of the 12 leaders, as recorded for us in verse 12 to verse 83, were then summarized and added up in verses 84 to 88. And then finally, we have the concluding verse in verse 89 that focuses on the place where Moses met with God and with God speaking to Moses. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a quick summary of Numbers chapter 7. As I have said earlier, some key biblical themes are presented in the book of Numbers with unmistakable clarity and giving as an essential part of a Christian's worship is one such theme with unmistakable clarity. And which will be the focus of our attention this morning. So please don't ever think... Huh? that the book of Numbers with its long listing of various things make for boring reading, okay? Nothing could be further from the truth. Regarding giving 
as an essential theme in Numbers chapter 7. First of all, what is clear is that we read here in giving, they gave their goods and giftedness. Verse 1 to verse 17, Numbers chapter 7. First of all, they give their goods and their giftedness. Numbers chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 17. Let me read this passage beginning, beginning with verse 1. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of families, who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. They brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cut from every two. This they presented before the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, Accept this from them, that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work requires. So Moses took the carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites. They gave two carts and four oxen to the Gashulites as their work required, and they gave four carts and eight oxen to the Menorites as their work required. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathites. Why? Because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for his dedication and presented them before the altar. For the Lord has said to Moses, each day, one leader is to bring his offering for the dedication of the altar. The one who brought his offering on the first day was Nashon, son of Abinadab, the tribe of the tribe of Judah. His offering was on silver plate weighing 130 shekels and on silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels, both according to the century shekel, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a great offering. One gold dish weighing 10, 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Nashon, son of Abinadab. Giving is a crucial dimension of a Christian's worship life. How so? You see, in worshipping God, when we worship God, we acknowledge His worth. All right, that God is worthy. And we do not do that just vocally like we have just done and we do every Sunday morning in songs and words, in thanksgiving and praise, but also we do it by our tangible gifts for His work and witness to the world. So we read in verse 3, for onwards, here the Israelites gave their goods and their giftedness. They, they offered gifts that they had made, we are told in verse 3. They brought the, the cards. In each case, two tribes joined together, offering their skills, 
as designers and the carpenters, as metal workers and so on and so forth to produce the wagons to carry the heavy tabernacle materials in their long journey across the desert as they make their way from Sinai into the Promised Land. So in preparation for the move from Sinai to the Promised Land, I mentioned earlier already that the, the tangible gifts, the tribal leaders of Israel, they brought to the Lord gifts of wagons and oxen. And this, they say, bringing to Moses, this to be, to be at the disposal of the Levites to help them in their work of transporting the, tab the tabernacle and its content. In verse 15 to verse 17, they also brought animals in offering. Now, animals are what God has created. All right, the carts were what God had, they used the workman and the skill and so forth, the giftedness to make the carts, but they brought animals. The oxen, they need oxen, right, to pull these carts along the wilderness highway. And with the wood and the metal that God had provided, skilled craftsmen make the carts. But nobody could make the ox, right, to pull the wagon or any other, all the other animals that are being brought subsequently. Only God make all these animals. So the people were offering to God what God had already given to them in the first place. So my friends, this is the very essential dimension of the biblical doctrine of giving. Okay, just that we always, we know it all too well, God, we love God because what God first loved us. But this very important doctrine of giving, we don't hear it too much. We give to God because of what God first has given to us. So perish the idea, nah? no matter how rich, how little you have. Don't think it is by my own strength, by my own wisdom, by my own education that I've gotten all this. We are able to give to God today it's because God has first given to us. We read, they brought some of the finest flour that God had given them. God had given them the ability to grow corn, alright? But they need to grind it into flour. He, he made the olive trees, but the people need to prepare the oil. And so once again, we see here they were giving part of his creation back to him. And all this in grateful recognition of God's abundant and undeserved generosity in blessing and providing for His people. And our responsibility today is to give to the Lord not merely a portion, but to give a proportion of what He has given to us. Tangible gifts, both goods and giftedness that can be used to meet needs in the church. How else do they give? We read that each of the <coughs> 12 leaders brought utensils and supplies for different offerings that were given to the Lord. Why did they bring both their goods and their giftedness? Well, you see, the Israelites knew that the tabernacle wasn't just a nice tent. Okay, just as the church today isn't just about a beautiful sanctuary that we have. It was a place where sacrifices were to be offered to God. So they brought hopent offering to pay for their sins as a sin offering. They brought grain offerings that were given as a way of showing their submission to God. And the fellowship offerings were ceremonial meals that they would eat in the Lord's presence 
They symbolize the enjoyment of fellowship with God. Now, since each part of these sacrifices were given to the priest, he also provided a way, therefore, to fund the ministry that the priest provided for the people. And that's why the priests were not given, the Levites were not given any share of the land. And they don't have to work the land. Okay? And their livelihood comes from part of the gifts that the people brought before God. Now, please understand uh, that as they presented their gifts before God, it is quite clear here that they didn't have some preacher pressurizing them to give what they didn't want to give. Okay? They weren't feeling guilty. Nobody was twisting their arms. There was no fundraising campaign. They were giving out of a genuine and heartfelt love for their God. And as I'm about to finish point one and moving to point two, I believe here but the Bible is teaching us two very clear things, very important things here. First of all, what the people gave to the Lord, and as we move on now, the attitude with which they gave to the Lord. You know, and my friends, as we consider, as we talk about this this morning, if you are like me, I don't know, if you are like me, you might be a little bit embarrassed about our own giving to the Lord. Okay? So besides firstly giving of their goods and their giftedness, it's going to lead me now to my second point, which is they gave gratefully and generously. Verse 12 to verse 83. They gave gratefully and generously. Verses 12 to 83. Now that is a lengthy, a whole big chunk of scripture. Okay, I don't really need to read this lengthy passage. Because from here onwards, I read, read verse 12 to verse 17. From here onward, it is a monotonous, a repetitious a description of the same gifts over and over again, okay? Given by a different leader of a different tribe. So those are the only two things different, okay? That's, that's the only change, the name of the leader and the, the name of the tribe. But everything else they brought, the, all the gifts, they're exactly the same, okay? So it's not that the gifts are different. In fact, like I've said, they are identical. So the question is, why did Moses repeat it over and over and over? Is the Bible trying to put us to sleep? Uh, to bore us to death? No, that's not it at all. I suggest for us the reason Moses repeated is because he wants us to see and to understand the overwhelming love that is being poured out towards God by each of the tribes of Israel. You see, and that just can't be communicated in a few words or a few phrases. Such repetition emphasizes the great generosity of the people of God as an example for future generations and for us here as well today. I believe there's another reason for the repetitious recording of the giving here, and that is to point out, and this is very important, to point out that they are individually noted by God. The offerings were identical. And yet, each is recorded separately and in detail. I believe this is done not merely to draw attention to the identity of the offerings, but more importantly, to show that each one was noted individually by God. Now, just in case you're wondering how you're going to bring your goat and cow to church next Sunday, um, Although I can sure do with 
some steak and lamb shank. Uh, no, the church doesn't require you, okay, <laughs> to bring your goat or your lamb to church on Sunday. Besides, our offertory back are not big enough. But just as in the same way, as with the tabernacle, our giving allows us to carry on ministry in and through the church. It gives us the privilege of meeting here together in the comfort of this ninth century with all the equipments that we have, that we meet together, we can praise God with our voices and hear God's word preached to us. It gives us the ability, the means to employ our pastors and staff members to lead us and help care for our spiritual needs, enable us to do various ministry in and through this church in the outreach throughout the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this chapter, Numbers chapter 7, is showing us that all the 12 tribes played a part in providing the resources so that they together could worship and fellowship with God. All of God's people came together to fund the tabernacle and those who served in it, the temple priests. Everyone had an equal part to play. The larger tribes didn't give more. The smaller tribe didn't give less. Each tribe gave exactly the same amount because they all shared in this ministry. They gave generously. They gave graciously. Not because Moses twisted their arm. Or God threatened to wipe them out if they didn't. No, they gave willingly out of their love and worship of God. And as a result, the tabernacle functioned exactly as it was intended to function with no unmet needs. And that's the way the church is supposed to function. No unmet needs. I don't know whether you pay attention to the monthly financial summary report in the e-bulletin that you receive every Sunday. I take a quick look at it this morning and I realize that if you pay attention, last month's collection was 5,000 short of budget. All right, I don't know, I don't know the church well enough, you know, it's details to you know how that might have impeded, hindered the ongoing ministry of this church, whether it's to our pastors or to the missionaries that we've sent out. But I just point that out for us that God's purpose designed for us to give is to fund the life and ministry of the church, the ministry and the ministers of the church. So I thought I'd just point that out to you, and uh, it is five, I think 5,000 of, some can really get me a quick count, the budget is 74,000, I don't know how many percent is that. So quite a substantial amount of money, and uh, I believe we can do better and do more. And I trust that the Lord will speak to us through what He has for us in His Word this morning. So again, here, is, God has given us a, a pattern for our giving. Okay? We don't call it tabernacle today. Of course, we call it a church. And you know what? Numbers chapter 7 is on giving. I don't think it is coincidental that Numbers chapter 7 on giving follows right after Numbers chapter 6 verse 22 to verse 27 that Pastor Jonathan had actually highlighted to us last week already, which is what? The pronouncement of blessing 
all right, that the priests give to God's people. Now, let me read it for us. Again, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 to verse 27, and point out that the correlation. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Says to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And so they put, they'll put my name on the Israelites and I'll bless them. Notice, Numbers chapter 7 follows Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 to verse 27. You see, the Israelites didn't give to God so that they would get blessing from God. The order of priority is God blesses people first. And then they give. In other words, like I said, you know, we love God because God first loved us. We give to God because God has first given to us. Make no mistake about that. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. The Bible tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He can direct the hearts of the people the way He wants. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And this is well illustrated in this story that I've read recently. I read that years ago, when Dallas Theological Seminary was just getting started, they were having terrible financial problems. And the board members gathered together in the president's office, and they were praying about how they needed the money to keep the seminary going. And all the board members were praying this, you know, this real pious kind of prayer, you know, that we Christians, especially pastors, are sometimes good at praying. But after a few moments of this, Dr. Harry Ironside, the president of the seminary, just prayed a simple down-to-earth prayer. And this is what he prayed. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says so. Now sell some and send us the money. The amazing thing is, the amazing thing is that outside the president's office at that very moment, as he uttered that prayer, a cattle owner was sitting with his receptionist. He had shown up at the precise moment of prayer, the one to inform Dr. Ironside that he had a herd of cattle, he wanted to sell them and give the money to the seminary. So as soon as they ended the board meeting, and Dr. Ironside, just finishing that sacrilegious, irreverential prayer, the reception stepped in and says, the Lord just sold the cows. And so listen, my friends, even as we talk about giving this morning, God doesn't need your money or mine to get done what he wants done. God doesn't depend on any man. We depend on Him. God is independent of anyone, no matter how rich you may be. But, but, He does want to include you in on the blessing. He wants to use us. But if we don't want to be used, He will find somebody else. 
you know, later on in Israel's history, when the Israelites refused to be a witness to the world of his power and majesty, what did God do? God turned to the Gentiles. He turned to the Gentiles. You know, I think sometimes we got this erroneous idea that God is begging us to give. Somehow we got this erroneous idea that the, the church is desperate, and if we don't give, the church will close shop. Nothing is further from the truth. Finally, we have in the concluding verse, in verse 89, because they gave both their goods and their giftedness with grateful generosity, we have finally their giving gratified their God. Verse 89. Their giving gratified their God. Verse 89 says, When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony, and he spoke with him. This concluding verse in verse 89 focuses on the place where Moses met with God, where the Lord speaking to Moses in the tabernacle's most holy place between the two cherubims, suggesting the Lord's pleasure at the general spirit of Israel's leader, of what they have brought in giving and the dedication of the altar in the tent of meeting. By God speaking to Moses, just as a man speaks to his friend, I think it signifies God's gracious acceptance of his offerings that were brought to him. Now, this very voice on this occasion that spoke to Moses inside the tabernacle here in Numbers chapter 7, was the very same voice that spoke to Moses at the burning bush. So at the close of this account of Numbers chapter 7, of community giving, interest is now finally focused on a solitary individual. Now notice with me very carefully now, Moses was overwhelmed with a greater priority than speaking. Because the tent of meeting where God met with him, became a place of attentive listening. Look at verse 89 again. Moses heard the voice. And in this way, the Lord spoke to him. You know, my friends, in the unfolding story of biblical revelation, is the majestic narrative not simply of a God who speaks, but of humanity's response to the divine voice. Unfortunately, many, like Samson and Solomon, they were deaf to what God said, or even alert to what he said. But in stark, stark contrast to this man, who were deaf to what God was saying, Moses, though he entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he discerned a greater need. He heard a voice speaking to him, and the Lord spoke with him. Now, what's the import of verse 89? Why am I belaboring this point? Mark this. Listen, I think 
Moses entering the tent of meeting to remind us that meeting with God is more important than working for God and it's also more important than giving to God. Do you get it? Let me say that again. I think Moses entering the tent of meeting to remind us that meeting with God is more important than working for God and giving to God. All our dutiful service, in whatever form, the goods that we bring, the giftedness that we offer up, like the Israelites giving here in Numbers chapter 7, is valueless if we do not make time to meet with God on a regular basis to listen to His voice. In our highly subjective age today, the discipline of a quiet time, the discipline of a daily meeting with God has become unpopular. Often dismissed as legalistic baggage that can be disregarded without any loss, without any bearing on our discipleship. Or at best, reduced to a mere five-minute reading of the daily bread in the MRT train. Yet our Lord Jesus himself has set the example for us where he regarded his daily meeting with God, personal quiet time with God as an essential dimension of his life and ministry here on earth. And therefore, my friends, therefore, as disciples of Jesus Christ today, I suggest to us this morning that we can hardly dismiss the quiet time that we need to spend with God as optional, what Jesus himself had considered vital. I think more important than giving today, remember, chapter 7 ends with this, more sobering thought. How is your work with God? Are you maintaining a consistent, quiet time? When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you had extended time of prayer with God? In meeting with God? Don't confuse the issue. In a sense, and I say this bluntly, God doesn't care what you do for him and how much you give him if you do not cultivate your own personal walk with him in seeking to know God deeper and richer and more personal. Well, as I conclude, I have to come back to giving. <laughs> I must ask the all two important questions that people inside the church and outside the church ask, how much? Now, Pastor, how much? <laughs> Here's the answer. The tithe is one tenth. Ten percent. A Christian who finds himself unable to make a commitment of a tenth of his resources to God should realistically examine his own lifestyle. And perhaps that will also require a critical examination of your spiritual values as well. And that might even be it. That's why the concluding verse of verse 89 
is pointing us to. Now, I don't want to get legalistic with this. I'm not going to talk about whether you tie before tax or after tax. I'm not going to advise you whether it is gross or net. If you have to ask those questions, you're actually asking the wrong question already. Okay? I want you this morning to give your heart. You see, when you surrender to God, giving to His ministry and to His ministers is just a natural outcome of a surrendered life. This was the spontaneous response of grateful hearts to the goodness and the grace of God. You know, when people are conscious of the blessing of God in their lives, they will give spontaneously and keep giving. Hence, finance in the church is directly related to faith and consecration. And if the church keep on going, having deficit, you will speak volume of a faith and a consecration of members here in this church. So make no mistake about it, giving is an essential part of a believer's growing and functional discipleship. An attitude of glad-hearted consecration on the part of the people of God will always provide a sufficiency and indeed an abundance in the life of the individual and in the life and ministry of the church. God is no man's debtor. God is no man's debtor. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are such a good, good Father who gives us every good and perfect gift. Everything that we have is a gift from you. The fact that we are able to give you our tithes and offerings is a response to your goodness to us and your blessing upon us. So we pray this morning, Lord, you continue to help us to find great joy in offering our time, our talents, and our treasures to meet the needs of the church and the needs of others through your church. This Heavenly Father is our faithful stewardship. So multiply for the exposition of the gospel and for the extension of your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.